0: Hi, right, we're here. Welcome to episode 13 of Versus Mike History. I'm your host, Michael History. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I review music, television, and film, interview guests from all walks of life, and provide social commentary and lifestyle topics. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen. And if we are on your preferred platform, let us know and we'll do our best to change that. Hello, world. Hello, world. Hello, world. How y'all doing? Um, if you're listening to this, Happy 420 to all my smokers and uh, THC, connoisseurs. Um, it's been a good week. I can't lie. Um, my spirits are up. And uh, there's a lot to talk about this week. Um, a lot of new music came out. There's a lot of good TV. There's a lot of good documentaries out. There's a lot of movies I want to talk about. Um, and I'm feeling good, you know? Uh This episode is being recorded on Sunday, which means that I got the opportunity to watch the first part. I know two parts came out, but I got the opportunity to watch the first part of the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. And um, since we're celebrating this documentary being premiered, uh, I want to go ahead and dedicate the design of the week to Jordan himself and that being the, uh, the band ones. Yes, the uh, Air Jordan band ones. That's going to be the design of the week. So I'm going to read a little excerpt that I wrote for it. So, during Michael Jordan's rookie year, Nike campaigned aggressively to sign the Rising Star. Michael had his mind set on signing with Converse as he preferred the hoop and Chuck Taylors because the soles were closer to the floor. But after being worn down, Michael gave in. Nike's creative director at the time, Peter Seymour, was tasked with designing Jordan's first shoe. Now, upon completion... Jordan was skeptical about what Moore had created, uh, being completely un- unfamiliar with a leather two-color two upper. But once the shoes were worn in the game and NBA threatened a fine over a violation of uniform policy, the rest was history. Now, Michael didn't wear these because of that letter, that infamous letter that was sent to him. But also, um, because it was his rookie year, he had to wear a different shoe that resembled the, um, the band ones and you know i just wanted to dedicate that to mike but anyway um what's good i don't know i mean like a lot of stuff came out um i guess let's start with the last dance though um yo a beautiful way to bring in that documentary with um every um the focus being on how the team wanted to be start started to wanted to get rebuilt by jerry krauss like i don't understand how a franchise wins through championships and then the star of the star of the team leaves and then y'all don't win and then he comes back and y'all win two more and you still and you start to think about rebuilding but i mean obviously the relationship between Mike and Jerry Cross just wasn't there and um with Jerry bringing in Phil i i guess he probably he probably felt like he wasn't being backed by the person that he brought into the job and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's real interesting to see. And um, what else? We focused on Michael coming up in UNC and winning a championship in, a fr- in his freshman year. And then him staying there two more years and him have, having people tell him, like, yo, like, you're ready for the NBA. Like, this is, this is what's meant for you. And then he goes to the Chicago Bulls and he, he's rookie of the year his in his first year like it's just it's it's insane seeing that much greatness being condensed into uh and, and a piece of media or a piece of art to show you like how great somebody is in terms of talent um it really amazed me and I you know I'm still excited about it and you could probably hear it in my voice but you know the GOAT is the GOAT, you know what I mean? Like and he was destined to be as great as he was just because his mindset, his mentality was so different from everybody else, and he was just so competitive. And um Yeah, I just I just think that is dope. But um let's move on to new music. So a lot of people put out new music. Um West Side Gun put out a project, Playboy Cardi dropped a single, Twenty One Savage dropped a single featuring summer walker cuddy dropped a single kelly Rowland dropped a fire single division dropped an album tom Miss, he dropped a single um and i'm sure there's some people that i'm missing but these are the people that i wrote down and the people that i listen to so i think that pretty much all of the people i just mentioned uh put out good music um the Cuddy song, I don't know. I feel like it had to grow on me. Like, the first time I was like, I don't really know. And then I listened to it again, and I was like, you know, I'm feeling it. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with listening to music and stuff right now, too. Like, I don't like judging a, a body of music off of it's the first listen because, you know, you don't know where you're at and, you know, environment matters and your state of mind and all of that stuff. All of that stuff really takes a toll when you like ingest a new music and new sounds and stuff like that. But, um, the 21 Savage record with, with Summer Walker, um, I don't know. I felt like it needed to grow on me as well, but it hasn't. Um, I've been a summer fan since like she popped, but like, I don't know, like I feel like two artists who will come together to make a hit record. It would make this, this makes sense, but on paper, but like, the execution just wasn't there um and you know it is what it is but regardless kelly Rowland she dropped a fire single coffee um i didn't see a video i think a video dropped though and um you know we all love us some kelly Rowland. hey kelly if you're listening i hope you're a fan of the show (laughs) um uh division dropped their album uh their album is dope it's like really chill it's like i don't know it's like i don't know but it's really it's, it's really a vibe but the the weird part about this album the weird thing about this album to me is just that like the first two division albums sounded like collaborative projects and this one sounds more like a producer trying to produce an artist rather than a producer artist combo i don't know i don't know if that makes sense but like it, it just doesn't i don't know they just their sound is definitely changing and progressing because it's not worse than music. It's just different. Like it's, it's a different experience. And, um, it's dope to see these guys flourish because like, I feel like I remember when they first popped and division is dope. Um, Tom Mish, my favorite white boy who could sing R and B. Um, not really R and B. Jellin. But <laughs> he dropped a single featuring Freddie Gibbs. It's a whole chill Woodsy vibe. Montclair, New Jersey vibe. Uh <laughs> and Um, I fuck with it. Uh, some movies. What, is, what did I watch this week? What did I watch this week? I watched um early in the week. I watched The Talented Mr. Ripley. That's on Netflix. Um, that stars matt damon he's a guy that basically uh swindles his way into like this rich family's inner circle by impersonating a princeton student and um it's really interesting it's like a really old it's like an old matt damon movie um it's really dope like i i like the type of movies that matt damon did when he was like when he was early in his career because they were more like twisty turny and Dramas and stuff like that and I feel like he kind of became more of a blockbuster Outside of like the Bourne trilogy because he he's untouchable because of those But regardless Um What else I watched College Behind Bars College Behind Bars meant a lot to me Um Because it's about the um It's about this this Prison in in upstate New York And um. They have a they have a college program called BPI Bard uh, Prison Institution, and it's basically college, and it's dope to see. And the documentary the documentary basically follows a bunch of students that are going through the program and talks about their life and what they're studying and their relationships with the professors and they interview the professors and it's like a whole thing and it's really crazy because it just highlights how much education is important because they're all the prisoners are so articulate and they take it so seriously and the people who aren't in prison they like take advantage of it and it just shows like a class imbalance like I'm getting in my sociology bag but regardless it was a very dope I mean it was a very dope documentary um it's four parts I would suggest everybody to go watch it um and yeah like that's that's just how I feel like I I really like stuff like that but um I really think it's worth your time if you, you know, want to learn about the American system and how people had access to uh, college and prison and then the Clinton crime bill wiped it all away. But, um, dear. Um, so what else we got? Uh, I don't know what else we got. Um, I guess we could talk about insecure now. Really? I guess so. Um, Insecure. Wow. Uh, I just finished watching it before I started recording, and it was really interesting because, I don't know, like, Molly and Nisa's relationship is getting real spooky. It's getting real spooky. And um, I don't know. I didn't really, like... I wouldn't really put that big of a deal on it, but it just shows that we're supposed to care about how it's happening the way it is. And what I mean by that is just that, like, uh, Isis and Molly are making plans and then Condola will be there. And, you know, Molly's like, yo, what's going on? And Isis is like, what do you mean? And Isis, you know, just full force going and being successful with the block party and stuff like that, and she's not really updating Molly on it. Um, I think that and that little bit of information in the beginning of the episode was definitely helpful because um, it laid the groundwork for what happened towards the end of the episode and basically what happened throughout, really. But um, yeah, like it's just I like it. It's weird to it, it's weird to see this relationship unravel because it's so real. Like, there's always people in your life who are like around. Or, like, like, people who have been in your life forever, you know what I mean? And then one day, like, you guys wake up and y'all just don't see eye to eye about life. And, like, I feel like I don't know what the fundamental issue is with them, which is the entertaining part about the season so far. Um, but I definitely want to see more of it as we go further along. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it was, that was good TV. That was good TV. Insecure is a really good show, man. Um, what else we got to talk about? Not much. Wow, this is a really short episode. I'm trying to think. Oh, I remember. I remember. This is what happened. Okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, Black as Fuck on Netflix or Black AF. I don't know what you... I don't know what people call it. Um And... Because every because it premiered on this past Friday, and um, everybody was on Twitter saying, you know, uh, uh, Kenya Bur- uh, Kenya Barris, uh, he makes the same show over and over and over again. Black as fuck is like so typical. Da 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 da. I miss old black shows and da da And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, he does make the same show. And I was like agreeing with people, and I have I hadn't even seen the show or whatever. So it was like it was funny because I just like had this predetermined mindset that like I was going to go into watching the show and then I just wasn't going to fuck with it because I seen most of his other stuff regardless uh I chose to set, sit and watch the show and I fuck with it like <laughs> like I fuck with it like I think that is dope I think that it's literally just a Netflix version of Blackish but regardless of the fact it's funnier like it's realer and like they have more creative freedom to do other stuff. So, I mean, like I like the idea and if you can milk it, you can milk it and like get your money, bro. But I mean, I, I see both sides. It's just that like, you know, we living in a time of like black producers, like we we got a good amount of black producers and people, black writers and directors and stuff like that. Like now is the time if you're a black filmmaker to like get involved in the industry and like take what's yours and. Everything is so exciting to me because Tyler Perry and his studio and whatever. But um, yeah, you know, like I can't be mad at the guy. But what I will say that what I will say is that there is a clear distinction between um, classic black, I'll call them black shows of the '90s, really, and even some shows of the '2000s, um, and new black shows. And these these are shows that I would consider classic black shows. Martin. Uh, Fresh, Prince of Bla- Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, Cosby Show, A, d- a Different World, um, even Bernie Mac's Show, even My Wife and Kids. Um, even, I dare say, Everybody Hates Chris. I would even say that show too. New shows, Blackish, uh, <laughs> I don't want to. Okay, okay. I don't want to get into it, but <laughs> I don't want to get into the new shows. But you get what I'm saying. I'll just use black. I'll just use blackish as this as the lone competitor against all the classic black shows I, I've I've named. But um, you know, like these new shows, man. They just. I feel like they're black shows for white people, and they're not like black shows for black people. Like classic black shows were just black people doing regular stuff it wasn't black people on tv talking about lit and you know we turned up and dealing with racism like what like why is like okay so we know we deal with racism consistently in the workplace but why is that a consistent topic in a tv in a com in a comedy show like that's not funny you know what i mean like and you know new black shows kind of do that um And, you know, even like in I fuck with this show, but even the first season, the first two seasons of Insecure did that, like with the We Got Y'all. But I know it was like it was like a point to make with it. Like, oh, you work for this organization with like racist undertones. But like. It's clear how the comedy has changed in terms of black shows, because black shows used to be more like internal and we're going to focus on black issues and it's more so black people dealing with white now (laughs) i don't want to say it's black people dealing with white issues because white people issues is everybody issues but um yeah there's a clear distinction and uh you know it's it's just funny to me that like People don't see that. And, like, I know that these new shows, they get, like, really good numbers and, you are getting syndication and everything like that. And uh, I salute everybody, you know. I am all for the black creator. But um, I just want to see more realness, you know, like, not more, like, it's, like, rigid, like, oh, we want to create something that fits in every space. No, like, create it for our space and let it be elegant here. And that's just how I feel about it. Like, that's just how I feel. All right, last but not least um, I ran a poll on Twitter asking you guys what film I should review for 420 uh, the options were how high Pineapple Express Herod and Kumar and half-baked and to my surprise not at all you guys picked Pineapple Express so um, went ahead and watched this movie, which is, I'm going to get into a little bit, but let me talk about, like, the bare basics of this movie. So, Pineapple Express is a 2008 American Buddy Stoner action comedy film directed by Gordon Green. It stars Seth Rogen and James Franco and is written by Seth Rogen and his uh, longstanding friend and Uh, Business partner Evan Goldberg Um, Most people will say that this is like The quintessential Stoner film um, I guess of our generation And I mean I guess I would have to agree Well I mean I would have I guess I agree with that in the past Um, And you know like It's not a bad movie at all I just have different thoughts I have many many thoughts after having watching it again this time so columbia films released released the film on august 6 2008 it grossed over 102 million dollars worldwide on a 26 million dollar budget so it was very successful and the scene in the film received um generally positive reviews from critics and franco was nominated for a golden globe award for his performance now let me let me get into it um The movie is basically about a guy who's a process server um going out and serving people, and then like when he's going to serve this guy who like has this super intricate fucking uh weed in uh, weed business, uh, he sees him kill another guy, and he throws a joint that that guy happens to be selling only in that city. Um the main character's name is Dale starring um the role that Seth Rogen plays. Uh so the person who Dale buys the weed from is, is Saul and he's boasting about how you know he doesn't like this is, oh I'm the only person who has this in town yada 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 Dale's not really like trying to sit and chill with him cuz he wants to go meet up with his girlfriend but He's like, alright, I'm gonna smoke this with you, yada yada yada. They smoke a cross joint. Whatever. Cool. Now, everything that happens after Dale catches the guy, Ted, um, shooting the other guy, the, the Koreans, I believe it was, or the Chinese. Um, everything about this movie is wild. Like it's is literally like I feel like you definitely this is this movie is funny. I will say that, I, like it still, it still holds up, for sure. But I don't know, like my opinion about it just is just different now. Like, it wasn't as funny. I don't know if it was like, I guess that <laughs> and I don't know. This is gonna su- sound super social justicey, but like I was the whole time I was thinking, like, damn, like I feel like black people could do this better. Um, that's just how I feel. Like, um, it's not like. That's just how. This is how I am with those types of comedies. Like I would rather see myself represented more, and um, that's not really what deterred me from it. It's just that it was a lot of things in the movie that, like you know, as a kid, you know, it was like it's like kid humor, but like that stuff doesn't like the, it holds up from nostalgia wise. But in terms of um, actual quality, I don't know. I feel like we give a lot of stuff passes for nostalgia because the plot line is stupid. Um, I'll say that. And, like, I can tell that a lot of scenes were improv and it's just fucking Seth Rogen and James Franco getting high throughout the entire shoot and saying these roles, saying saying these lines, and the lines aren't particularly that, that that interesting. Like, I caught myself on my phone multiple times throughout watching the movie um and <laughs> i hate to sound like a hater, like on the when reviewing the 420 movie but especially a movie like this but it's just the truth like kind express is definitely a movie that's like that you can enjoy and i feel like the best way to enjoy that movie is definitely by getting hot and i feel like i guess if that's what makes it the best weed movie then that's kind of trash, I don't know. Cause I feel like a best, I mean, I don't know. I feel like how, I I personally believe that how high is a funnier movie than, than Pineapple Express. It's just like the whole premise of like how the two guys meet and this like super by chance and the whole premise is ridiculous. And I feel like the premise of Pineapple Express is almost too simple because like a lot of the things that happen throughout the movie, is just like a big misunderstanding and um when it all comes like to climax towards the end of the movie it's just like yo how did they even get into this position in the first place and you know i know it's all supposed to be goofy and laughing and jokes and stuff like that but i don't know that's just how i felt about it and now i feel like a hater but you know what it is what it is and that's my honest review of it like um i think that Seth Rogen and James Franco had good chemistry throughout, and I think that um, Denny Denny McBride was definitely, um, and Craig Robinson um, both, like, had good performances and stuff like that, but a lot of the lines that were written for them were just like, this is not, I don't know, I feel like the movie is honestly a little overhyped, like, that's just how I feel. I just I just feel that after that I watch. Like, I'm like, oh, this movie is revered as the greatest, I mean. And it's about a strain of weed that didn't exist before, but that exists now. And, um, you know, it's not even, like... It's a ridiculous adventure. But it's, like... I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know. But, you know, um, I'm not, like, super... I don't, like, super hate it. It's just... I feel like there are better weed movies than that, like, and, like, and I was mad, too, because when I made the poll, I didn't, um, I didn't include Friday, and I should have included Friday, and now I regret it, because I feel like black people obviously make the best weed movies, but that's neither here nor there, um, and I guess that's how how i'll end the episode this week uh i'm gonna make another poll i don't know if it's gonna be this week or when but i'm gonna make another poll for um what type of movie or something that we should get into uh i feel like i breezed through a lot this week but you know it is what it is and uh, i'm trying to get better at this solo episode stuff and trying to keep my energy up i want to hear more from you guys um and, you know, it's been fun doing this. You know, I'm going to keep doing this. And remember, guys, go to the website versusmikehistory.com. Follow us on Twitter. We changed our handle. It's now VS Mike History, at VS Mike History. We're on Twitter at versusmikehistory. And um, check out the site. Check out all the episodes. Write in, comment, you know. Send us some mail. And we got some fun shit coming soon. And uh, on that note, I'll catch you guys.